We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City. On June 4th, we are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest. And then the final event, the Behind the Bangs Writing Workshop. I finally did it, put it together, put together this workshop because I wrote this book in many ways for younger me. And younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught. I wanted the gyms. I wanted I wanted the knowledge. I wanted the education. That's what I would have wanted. So I've decided I'm doing it. And in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn. 15 years. In my 15-year career as a TV writer and author and blah, 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 all the other things I've written, there are six things that I always use, and all of those are in this workshop. So if you have an interest in writing, sign up. All the ticket links are live today. Click the show notes. Click my Instagram. We are coming to a city near you, and there's going to be some meet and greets. I'll sign some copies of books. We'll give out more books, and I have uh, some pieces of merch that I'm taking on the road, and I'm going to give them out at the shows. Hello and welcome to another Glamorous Trash Talk episode. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes, and Glamorous Trash Talk is where I take a little tangent and put out a short episode to discuss something besides celebrity memoirs that I also consider glamorous trash. If you are looking for a book recap, we just released the Video Vixen episode and coming out, I think five days from now, four days from now is our Elliot Page episode. So more books are coming soon, but this is Glamorous Trash Talk. Now, Glamorous Trash Talk is called Glamorous Trash because it's all about going high and low at the same time. Glamorous Trash is a full gown in the back and a slutty little mini skirt in the front which is the exact description of a wedding dress I heavily considered purchasing during a particularly dark moment. Now, today we have a glamorous trash menagerie of topics. We're discussing the upcoming season of The Bachelorette with the new Bachelorette charity. My guest has a very hot take on this as she is not into it, but I am. We're going to discuss. But first, before that, we're going to have a bit of a serious conversation, a more serious conversation. We are discussing three incredible nonfiction books. So here is your warning. We are discussing heavy topics. It's a darker conversation, so take care up top when listening. Then we'll get into The Bachelorette. And also, I am calling this episode a glamorous trash menagerie because our guest today is the one who first DM'd me that phrase, and now I can't stop using it. So let's dive in. 
Let me introduce our guest. She hosts the live show One for the Books, which is a live literary series in partnership with The LAist and the incredible books podcast, The Stacks. Please welcome Tracy Thomas. Yay. I'm so excited, though. I also feel like the dress you described is just a dress mullet. It is a dress mullet. And it's, I would say it is ugly, but feels so fun when it's on. Okay. I'll listen. You know? I'm, I'm with you. I trust your taste, even though it's not my taste. <laughs> you know what? And that is why I love talking to you. I, you guys, actually, I'm going to take a screenshot and post this on my Instagram, but okay. we're both in our offices and Tracy's is like beautiful, meticulous, color-coded, <laughs> organized, gorgeous, and mine's like chaos <laughs> color mess. <laughs> now, we we have been talking so much. You are coming on the podcast again to discuss Jada Pinkett Smith's memoir. So I'm going to hold on your How We Met story till okay. then. But I will say, I went on Tracy's amazing book podcast called The Stacks. We discussed Mariah Carey's memoir. Even if you heard the episode that I did our episode goes even deeper. There's brand new insights. We had a really fun and wild conversation. We got into Meghan Markle over there. Yes. And then after we recorded our episode, we stayed on the Zoom. And I feel like I just like fell in love with you. Yes. And I will probably be asking you to come on this podcast all the time. I will be saying yes. Okay, you messaged me and you were like, will you do Glamour's Trash Talk? Can we talk about this, this, or this? And I just was like, yes. yes. Whatever and you he, want, whenever yeah. you want. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking you up on that. Okay, so let's begin with the books. Then okay. we're going to move to The Bachelorette. Okay, so the reason I had to bring Tracy on at first is because she recommended some non-celeb memoirs to me that I loved. Yes. And it's very hard. I know this is weird because I read trash books constantly, but it's hard for me to like books outside of them lately. Like celebrity memoirs almost always are like really juicy, really gossipy, and like make me think and they're easy reads. And so finding like a great nonfiction book that fits all of those is hard. And you did it. Yay. That's music to my ears. Anytime someone's like, I read a book you recommended and I liked it. I'm like, thank you. We can be friends forever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I've I've loved every single one. Okay, so let's start with We Were Once a Family. Uh, oh. How do you pronounce the author's name? It's Roxana. Roxana Asgarian. Asgarian. Okay, great. It was published this year. So tell me, you just read this book. You brought the author on your podcast. What made you love this book? I had seen it on the list. I was like, oh, that looks interesting, but I didn't know what it was about. And then a friend of mine was like, I'm reading this. I'm 20 pages in. It's a you book. And I was like, okay, great. So I picked it up and then I was like, oh, I know this story. It's the story of the Hart family murders. Um, people, that might sound familiar to you. If you watch the show Atlanta, they did an episode about it. There was a podcast called Broken Hearts that was about it. It was about two white women who adopted six black children and then drove them off of a cliff in 2018 um, or 2017, 2018. And so this story kind of like came out and it was about like these poor white women who were dealing with quote unquote crack babies and how they were victims and they were just so overwhelmed. And that's sort of how it had been presented in the media. And then I picked up the book and Roxana does a really great job of focusing on the birth families and the children and explaining like how much of the story was myth and a lot about the system of foster care, child separation, family separation, especially in the state of Texas, which is where both of the families were from. Yeah, the media story of like these lovely white women, how could they do something so horrible was so enraging once, mm -hmm. especially reading the book, when you start to uncover all the things that even people reporting like in-depth episodes yeah. on it fully yeah. missed. Okay, the other thing I will say is that 
for a long time, and especially with my husband, I've always thought that if we're going to have kids, we are going to foster or foster to adopt. And so I've been really interested in learning everything I can, kind of looking at that choice. And this book was a wild education in the foster system. How many times their actual family members tried to get them back and could not, and how these women felt like they were like saints and people treated them as saints when in fact they were more abusive than their actual families. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's really interesting about this book, and I think one of the reasons I recommended it to you is when we went to dinner, you had mentioned that, that you were interested in perhaps adopting and fo- or okay, foster adopting. Yeah. And I think I read the book like that next week and was like, oh, I have to send this to Chelsea. Anyways, but I think what's really interesting is, and on the conversation I had with Roxana, we talk about this a lot, is like this idea that there, it is known that families, re- relatives of children are best, are the best placement for the well-being of the child. However, in practice, it never looks like that. Oftentimes, in in different states, there is no money given if you are a blood relative of a child, whereas if you are a stranger who fosters to adopt, you're given money, um, sometimes monthly, sometimes lump. It depends on the state. But even the fact that, like, in this case, in the case of um, three of the children, their aunt or grandmother was trying to take care of them, and they gave her a small lump sum, but it didn't even cover the cost of getting beds for the kids. It didn't even, like, it didn't cover anything. And I think, like, you know, the media and just, like, people in general have done a really good job of, like, making people who adopt into heroes. And I'm not saying that those people aren't lovely people and that most of them probably are (laughs) really well-meaning, but separating a family is a huge fucking thing. And, and the idea that like the government is more than okay with being like, actually, we want you to go with these people, even though you have a family and we could just like pay you. And in a lot of cases, a parent with like drug issues or like drug abuse or whatever is not disqualifying for them to be a parent. I know many kids whose parents were alcoholics when I was growing up and in their home all the time. But when right. it comes to black and brown families, it's like, oh, you were caught smoking marijuana, and so now you're an unfit parent, and we're going to take your kids away. When you could just put that person in drug treatment and let them stay with their kids, and like, yeah, or like, oh, you're homeless, so we're going to take your kids away. Well, why don't you give them that money, and then they can just keep their fucking kids and not ruin a three year old's life? Like, it's just yeah. so crazy. I also I. Like one of the biggest things I learned from this book and also the podcast, This Land, which talks about indigenous children who go through the foster system. Mm, So good. So good. Is that poverty on paper reads as abuse. Mm -hmm. So when it's just poverty. So a lot of these families, especially in this case, in this book, it's like reading about the aunt who said like, they didn't give me any money. So I had to keep working my full-time job which meant I had to have childcare for these four, you know, she had another child and these three children. And she one time let their birth mother babysit them. And then she could never have them again, but it's because poverty looks like, oh, well, you left them alone because you had to work. Or the kid doesn't have enough food because you had to work. The kid doesn't have a bed because you have to work. And it's just poverty. It's not actual abuse. Anyways, the, the book is so good. I would say the one of the wildest parts of the book is when the author discusses the Facebook group that popped up of adopted parents. Yes. So they like created this largely, this this big Facebook group to like discuss the murder and like stand up for adoptive parents' rights. And then, okay, correct me if I'm wrong, because this is what I remember. The mom of one of, of three of the kids, like 
needs help or something and they like raise money for her. No, it's even, it's even crazier. Okay, you do it, okay, you do so it, you do it. You they do adopted it. these six black children. It was three siblings and three siblings. The first set of siblings came from two black parents. The second set of siblings came from a black uh, father and a white mother. So when the the case happens and the children are murdered, the the birth families find out from the news that their kids have been murdered. The white mother finds this Facebook group discussing the case because she just wants to see pictures of her kids. She's never gotten oh, updates. Right. She doesn't want to see. She does. She just wants to know what happened with them. She doesn't know what happened with her kids. So she's in this Facebook group looking for photos, and and this this group just has a lot of them because it's like all these <laughs> parents like diving into People Reddit or in whatever. A Facebook yeah. Group. Finally, she reveals herself and everyone goes to rally and support her. But then the the woman who created the Facebook group later has to address how they had discussed the black birth mom so terribly. Like, oh, she gave him a horrible life. What a monster. Thank God these kids were taken away, even though they were murdered. And then when the white mom was part of the group, they like raised money and were so lovely to her. So then this group had to like talk about internalized racism, but also adoptive parent rights and adopt and foster system. I mean, it's just, it's a lot. Well, in the history of family separation in America, as you mentioned that, that podcast, like this land um, is really fucked up for black children and indigenous children. And it's been going on for a long time. And these communities have been talking about it for a long time. And it's just like, it's always so interesting when a story like this that involves two white women, that it becomes like this huge national story when there are just uncounted numbers of situations like this that don't make media attention because the kids are abused like in different ways or they're separated from their parents and they shouldn't have been and all of that stuff. So I think like these stories are so great, but there's so many more. I mean, I think I told you to read Invisible Child by Andrea Elliott. Yes. Did I not? Okay. Yes, you did. Fantastic. Another book that's about poverty and family separation. It won the Pulitzer, so I'm not like saying anything new. <laughs> it's good. I, don't trust me. Just trust, trust them. the Pulitzer. And, and then there's another book, and it's right behind me. It's called Children of the State, mm-hmm. and it just came out this year also. I haven't gotten to it yet, but it's on my list. Like, it's another book about juvenile detention and child and family separation. And like, there's just, if people are interested in it, there's so, 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 so many books like that you can read and find about about how this stuff works and like the systems and everything. And then of course, Dorothy Roberts, who is like one of the foremothers of these kinds of stories. Um, I just, I recommend all of that stuff for people who are interested. Yes, please do. I I think uh, like before we move on from this book, I also just want to say like this one is, it's a good read. Like obviously the content is a lot and like we're talking about very dark themes, but the actual writing I just thought was great. It was very, you know, it's nonfiction, journalistic reporting, but still carried you through the story, still gave us the emotions and everything. Okay, so the next book. Apparently at this dinner, uh, I had confessed all my deepest traumas to Tracy and she recommended me books for them. That is helping. Okay, so the other book that you recommended to me is The Other Side by Lacey M. Johnson, published in 2014. Um, This book... And this conversation, all of it, the whole episode comes with the trigger warning, trauma, sexual assault, kidnapping. Yes. This is, this, you know, listen, these are, these are deep issues. This is what I like to read people. So I read the darkest shit when people are like, what should I read for the beach? I'm like, well, how do you feel about a book about sexual assault? Yeah. And- because that's what I read on the beach. <laughs> I mean, to your credit, you said like, hey, like knowing about your history, I don't know if you want to read this one, but you... But what you might want to read is her second one. And I'm going to tell you how I felt about it. Her second book, The Reckonings, 
also by Lacey M. Johnson, uh, published in 2019. Tracy gave, like, the pitch was great. She was like, the other side is about what happened to her when she was kidnapped and raped and escaped by a boy, and uh, she was kidnapped by a boyfriend. And then the second book is called The Reckonings, where every time she went on book tour, people would ask, and, and the way she tells the story is gorgeous, but there would always be one person who would ask, like, what do you wish would happen to him? And as she was trying to think of true justice came this essay collection called The Reckonings, reckoning on true justice for these horrible things that have happened. I... I, I guess this is just like my messed up brain. I've always known this about myself, but like the other side, I t- I read it in one sitting. I could not put it down. That is about yeah. her actual experience. The reckonings was too much for me. I, I had really? to put it down probably like a quarter way through. Yeah, and I think, I, I don't know the science behind it. Maybe it's just my own thing, but like I think uh, because I can relate to so many mm-hmm. things in the other side, there's something very calming about reading it. I, I don't know why, mm-hmm. but it just- it's just like understanding something that you also have touched before, you know, and bringing that into your life. Whereas the reckonings was taking me into international tragedies and I started to feel really depressed and I had to stop. That's what I was going to say. I feel like the the other side is somewhat easier to digest because it's one person's story. And so you can see yourself there. What would I do? How would I feel? How was this experience for me? But the reckonings like blows up this idea of justice and harm so big that it, all of a sudden you sort of feel insignificant a little bit in the whole greater picture. Like there's an essay in The Reckonings on the death penalty and children with terminal cancer that still, I read this book in 2018. I, I'm getting chills right now just thinking about the essay. Like it, it's just like she takes justice and basically is like, fuck you, whatever you think justice is. Like, it's so much bigger than you and us. And like, it's an act of grace and resistance and like love and hate. And it's just like such, it becomes like kind of heady that it's like overwhelming. Wow. Okay, this is making me want to read that. Do you think there's a world where I can go in and just read that essay? You can read the essays however you want. It's an essay No, I know, but I stopped because I thought all of them would end me. But do you think I could read the one you just mentioned? I think so. I mean- to me, that one was like, is the one that stuck with me. There, There's other ones. There's one that I really don't like. <laughs> it's really long. It's like about, it's it's probably great. It's about environmental justice. It's about um, Amer- the United States was like doing testing for nuclear things and they like buried the nuclear things in a neighborhood and everybody was getting cancer. And then these women were like, sort of like a group of Aaron Brockovichi, if you will. Okay, I love uh, a flock of Aaron. <laughs> Yeah, a Um, A group of errands is called a Brockovich. And (laughs) uh, (laughs) anyways, that one wasn't my favorite, but the rest of them I love. And I think if it's overwhelming, you could definitely read them like one at a time. Yeah, yeah. I want want to be strong enough for this book because every time you talk about it, I'm like, yes, I want, I mean, I I ordered it immediately. Um, But yeah, I was not, I was not, I was not strong enough. And maybe, maybe I will be one day. Maybe it's just not right now. Yeah. The other thing I loved about this book is, I'm going to say, I'm and I'm saying this as a compliment, how icky the details of the relationship were before mm-hmm. the actual mm-hmm. event, because I feel like that's always what's left out of our larger narratives about mm-hmm. domestic violence is like, you never, you, no one ever spends time in the part where you're like, yeah, I was dating that douchebag. Like I, you know, yeah. I fought with my friend Tracy and said, he's a good dude, you know, like whatever yeah, it was exactly. because you're, you know, you really are wrapped up in these relationships and she does come from like a working class background and she does come from, you know, it's like 
she's like staying overnight at her sister's, but her sister has to go to work. So it was like, hold this gun, you know, because these, right. this is like, these are your options. Um, I these just, I loved it. And it's, yeah, I loved it. And she gets to tell you what happened to him, which is very unfulfilling, but detailed. And that yeah. part was incredible too. So I read a lot of memoir, not as much celebrity memoir as you, but probably the same number of memoirs by the end of the year. But most of them are like by authors or people who are just like dabbling. They have a story to tell. And I do read a lot of celebrity memoirs too. But what I love about a memoir like this or a book like Heavy by K.S.A. Lehman or Men We Reap by Jasmine Ward, all three of these books are some of my favorite memoirs ever, is that there is time between the events and the writing, mm. like decades or so. And I feel like a lot of celebrity memoirs are pushed out right away, like within a few years after whatever the thing is or the things are. And so they don't have the time to reflect and to be able to show you how icky the relationship was, because I don't know if the person's fully realized how icky the thing was or like how damaging the thing was. But I think that the other side was written like 10 or 12 years after what happened to her. Yeah. So she had years of like going through all of the things you experience by, about being yeah. yeah processing and then also being able to like distill it out and tell it back to us as a story yeah. and i think a lot of the times with celebrity memoirs it's like we have to get this out because we want people to know now while people are still interested in this thing you know yes you're right and and i think the best celebrity memoirs come later in the person's career because of that same thing yeah i, I think that is such a good point and Although, okay, I will also say there's something to, there's something special about writing about events when you are still close enough to fully remember every detail. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm almost done with my book. And in my process, um, like the hardest, the hardest thing I was writing about happened almost two decades ago, two entire decades. So we were almost at 20 years. And it's, it's really wild what your brain can do. There, there was, um, I kind of went into it thinking like, oh no, what if I'm going to write it like worse than it was? What if it just feels so bad to me? But it, it wasn't, maybe it wasn't that bad. Like all these like crazy, horrible, like shame tricks your brain plays. And I, hmm. I went and revisited journal entries that I wrote within months, within a year, within two years of it. And I found that it was worse. It was worse. Way worse. I could have told you that. <laughs> <laughs> you were protecting yourself. Yeah. Uh, but I, it's, I think it's, I think like in, as a concept, I can understand that, but it's, it's really wild to experience in your heart, in your own brain. It feels like a betrayal. You're like, what? Right. Like, how could I, hmm. like, especially like, I like have a book podcast. I'm okay discussing this stuff. Like I like, don't, why is my brain hiding stuff from me? You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I wonder if it's because podcasting feels like somewhat fleeting, like mm. people aren't going to go all the way back to this or like, you're not thinking about how you want to tell the story. It just sort of comes out. Whereas when you have a book, it's like you get to tell this story in exactly the way that you want. And you have like plenty of time to think about how you want to put it down on the page and that it will like last in this one place forever. Yeah. Even though podcasting lasts, it doesn't feel that way. Oh, like, how interesting. Like, yeah. oh, I went back to this episode from like 2018. I'm like, oh, how was it? <laughs> That's hilarious. What did I say? That's hilarious. Yeah, that is really interesting. And also, like, I'm never going to share as much into a microphone over Zoom for the public as I am going to by myself with my keyboard surrounded by 20 childhood journals sobbing into a glass of whiskey. Like, that's just going to bring something deeper than than this experience. Okay, we're going to take a quick break right now, and we'll be right back. 
Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondry's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Dis and Tell on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life, and I can't believe it, but I got to write my own, and it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup, how I got my break into Hollywood, when I found out my dad was not my real dad, the time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah, growing up around cults how I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes, some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Okay, welcome back. Let's continue the conversation. Okay, so. Now, you guys, hard pivot, extreme turn. That that was our high. Now we're going low. We got a little juicy gift. We're going to discuss The Bachelorette. So we are recording this before the new season drops. So Charity Lawson, she is our new Bachelorette. She is the third Black woman, no, fourth? Fourth Black woman to be the lead of this historically whitewashed show. And I was so excited when she was announced. And then I was backstage (laughs) at one of Tracy's live shows. And I found that Tracy and I were at the opposite ends of the spectrum. I can't wait for this season. I think if they're smart, and they won't be, but if they're smart, the possibility is there that charity season could turn this whole franchise around. But Tracy had other thoughts. I don't agree with you. But wait, I'm curious to know why you think it could, what, what could, what could they do to turn it around with this season in your mind? Treat her like they treat the other bachelorettes on screen and take any of the things Rachel said into account, uh, Rachel, the previous Mm. bachelorette for behind the scenes. So it's like if behind the scenes, they made any progress with like, having Black producers on the show, having an actual casting that really was casting men for charity like they do with other bachelorettes. And then on screen, give us the mess. Like they have been so, they've sort of like ushered in these candidates to make them seem like they're not racist. And then they 
treat it with either kid gloves or ignorance and then deliver these dog shit seasons. And then everyone goes, ah, see, like when you cast a black person, it ruins things. Like, why, like, you know, all, not everyone. I'm just saying hateful people yeah. who already think that are then shown proof versus like, this is production's fault. Like it, they would be incredible seasons if they just treated it right. I mean, here's the thing for me, Chelsea, is that I watch the Bachelor and the Bachelorette, though I did not watch last season, so I don't know what I just couldn't do. Zach, I'm sorry, he's so boring. Yeah, it was hard. So I don't know Charity at all. So I'm saying this as a person who does not know Charity, but knows basically every season before Zach's. And like many Americans, I am watching this show for mess, for perhaps a love story, but also really just to find out if I think that they're going to like each other or not mm-hmm. and to wait and see how long before they break up, which again is a form of mess. And so for me, I do not enjoy watching Black Leads on this show because I do not like to relive my own personal trauma in life and dating. And it's not fun mm-hmm. to watch Rachel Lindsay have to talk to Lee, a racist, and watch him gaslight her for real, not the way people use gaslight now. And the black guy, what was his name? Kenny, 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 Kenny. Kenny. Um, like that shit's not fun to watch. That is not enjoyable mess. That's like real world fucking bullshit. I don't think the show's capable of giving black people the proper kind of mess because I don't think this show understands black people as people. So for me, I'm just like, keep it. Don't, we don't need to do another black bachelorette because I don't need to watch this sweet black girl who charity, beautiful, looks lovely, wears clothes beautifully. I don't need to watch her have her whole life ruined and her self-esteem destroyed for fucking people who hate her anyways. Do you know what I mean? Like to me, it's just like, I don't, I don't need this. You don't need this. I'm here to watch fucking Becky and Karen and Ashley spelled with two E's, three L's, and five A's. I'm here to watch them have a nightmare. I'm not here (laughs) to watch fucking Charity deal with racial trauma and have to relive fucking Matt James plantation wedding or whatever the fuck. (laughs) Like, I just, it's not fun. It's fucking miserable. And there are plenty of white people who agree with me for totally different reasons. And you know what? Let's let them win for once. Let's let the bad white people win so that I can laugh too. Tracy delivered beautifully. Hold on. There you go. Okay. uh, Now that said, upon this revisiting, I believe we are closer in opinion uh, than I previously thought with some key differences. Okay. So yes, I completely agree. They don't, they don't see black people as people, so they can't give them a correct bachelorette viewing. But I don't even want a correct bachelorette season for a black person. I want hot tub mess. I want who is going to eat the grilled shrimp mess. I want, he said, I love you to four people mess. I want, he slept with me early and he slept with me and me and me. Oh my God, he slept with all of us. I want all of that. But see, here's the thing. If you give a black person, a black lead, that exact same treatment, the exact same same thing happens on Clayton season that happens on, let's say it's Matt James, but the same thing happens. He says, I love you to everyone, that whole thing. It becomes a conversation about how black men are unfaithful. And it becomes this whole thing about black people as a whole in the conversation that I just don't fucking want to deal with. I don't want I don't even want Matt James to have like but okay, I'm glad Matt James example. exists. This is, he, I'm just saying yeah. like a black guy. Like I'm saying if if the whole sh- who ate the shrimp thing happened with a black woman and a white woman, it would be like black people are poor and they can't afford food. So when they go on The Bachelor, they eat all the shrimp. Like it would become all this bullshit, racist, 
fucking trash in the conversation. Like if a black woman had done what Caitlin Bristow did and had sex early, you think Caitlin Bristow was shamed? Oh, yeah. Imagine what that would have looked like for a black harlot. Uh, it, like it yeah. would have become this whole thing. And so I just don't, I don't fucking want to talk about race through the lens of The Bachelor because I don't think The Bachelor, even at its best, has anything interesting to say about race. I agree. But I agree. They think like, oh, hey, we're going to bring on a black lead and then now the show's not racist. Meanwhile, we've set up storylines where we've brought actual uh, Confederate flag wearing men in to date her and... And we've set up all these racial traumas as if they are drama versus our hot tub shrimp drama. Okay, that's what the storylines are supposed to be. Now, here's what I would post to you, though. There are really diverse casts on Love is Blind, on Mm -hmm. Married at First Sight, on Mm -hmm. Too Hot to Handle. And, like, Mm -hmm. they get mess. They get wonderful, lovely mess. And it doesn't become the conversation you're talking about. Like, why can't The Bachelorette get that mess? It does. It does. Tell me about Kwame. Tell me, talk about Kwame and his whole thing with Chelsea. There was a lot of racial undertones there. And he had a lot of racial issues himself. Remember, he was going to use a different name when he came on the show. Also, like with, what was his name? The the sweet boy who wanted to control the sort of Jackie girl. Oh, yeah. Marshall? Remember? Marshall? I think that they got lucky that they had a, a real love connection with two black people with Brett and Tiffany. Brett and Tiffany. Like, I think that that was lucky for them. But also but, season one, Cameron and Lauren, like that. But there was a lot of talk about how this isn't going to work and this white boy and but, what is he getting into and is her family going to like him and like. Did you feel like everything you just said in that season, everything in the first season, did you feel like that was hampering the conversation or having the conversation in a reality TV way, but we were still like hitting real issues in life. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't, that doesn't bother me as much. I think also because there's multiple leads. Mm -hmm. So you're not sitting in it for as long as you are on The Bachelor where it's like, if you have a black lead on The Bachelor, everything is filtered through this lens of race through the hands of people who don't know what they're doing, which we both agree with. Yeah. Uh, But just like, and The Bachelor is such a bigger show. It's like they're going on Jimmy Kimmel or whatever the fuck. Like it's just such a thing. And people who don't even watch the show are talking. It, it's just such a bigger thing. And and I just like, so Michelle, I would say Michelle season, Michelle Young season was the closest to a regular degular Bachelor season as a black lead. I, I totally disagree. You think she had fuckery? I think she had fuckery on the opposite end. I think they handled it with such kid gloves that they didn't give us the juicy drama. Yes. No, I agree. I'm saying I think it's like the it was like the cleanest season as far as like But, but it can't it can't like bachelor seasons have, have to, to be, be messy. Garbage fires on a train running upside down. And to give us one that like handled race kind of okay because it gave us nothing. Well, but I, so this is what my point is, was going to be that I feel like the reason Michelle's season was so clean and hence very fucking boring is because they only cast black people who are truly upstanding, perfect contestants. So then you have someone like Michelle, who's a black school teacher from the Midwest, who clearly understands the position she's being put in. And this is the same thing that happened with Rachel. Mm -hmm. She talks about it all the time. And so they're on pins and needles, trying not to disappoint the race or like trying to be the perfect black woman. And so that's the other problem with the show is even if you cast someone and you give them mess, they don't have the freedom to behave messily in the same way that a white lead does. Because Michelle Young has talked about knowing 
that everyone was going to look at her and feeling the pressure about who to pick. But here's where, here's my big point, Tracy, because I think, listen, do I think you're absolutely correct and this is going to fail? Yes. However, yeah, I is. have a little bit of hope because. <laughs> okay. I love how much hope you have and I have none. <laughs> it's it's delusional <laughs> hope. I just really want a good season this summer. Um, so I'm, but I think possibly there has been enough backlash and education um, for them to have fixed something behind the scenes. Big Daddy Master, Mike Fleiss, creator of the series, uh, the man behind the horrible decisions that have been made, he has left, you know, so there's hope. And then I think Charity might be so inundated in the Bachelor community that she will be able to escape a little bit of those pressures and give us gorgeous, beautiful mess where we're still rooting for her to be like prom queen Cinderella. Like Charity is a real bachelor girl. Does she have a personality? But, Does she have a personality? But do any of them, Tracy? Like some of the some of the bachelorettes do. The best like, ones of all time, like Caitlin Bristow, Caitlin Bristow Jillian, Andy Dorfman, Andy. Rachel Lindsay. Rachel Lindsay. Andy had a personality. Andy had a personality. She did. I mean, compared to like Emily Maynard or, or Ashley yeah. Hebert. But it's like Emily Maynard, Claire Crowley. Like there's so many bachelorettes who who are here to like, you know, smile and spin. And and I love them too. Okay. I love them. I love them all. And 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 I I think charity, you know, she's a little bit of a pumpkin spice latte, but okay. I think that is maybe what the show needs. Okay. All right. We'll see. I hope are you going to tune in? I hope in? for my sake, I will start watching. Because the gals at Two Black Girls, One Rose said that they're going to cover the show. Yes. I have been begging Justine since they announced. I was like, you guys have to come back. You cannot leave this girl to the wolves. Yes. Um, so I feel that I have to watch because I begged them to watch. Um, but let me just say this. If it is even boring for like two episodes in a row... I will free myself so fucking quick. I used to be like, I have to finish. But after not watching last year, I was like, this is great. Yeah. I'm not spending two to four hours a week watching nothing happen. That's fair. And you know what? The first episode is always the best episode. So- Do you think? I always, yeah, because you get to meet everyone. There's always, I mean, they keep them up all night long drinking That's champagne. True. Something fun That's always true. happens. And Something you happens. get to meet sort of your big characters for the season. If episode one is bad- there's, there's no it's hope. problem. Well, I have high hopes. Listen, this summer feels a little gloomy and I want, I want a good bachelorette season to get me through. I would like And that. I need it to, like most importantly, launch Bachelor in Paradise people who I will enjoy. We need some good Bachelor in Paradise because this last season was too much content. Do you remember it was like 90 hours? <laughs> loved it. Loved every second. Loved it. No, you yes, didn't. I did. Yes, I did. Every second? Oh my Listen, God. Listen, do I sometimes work during... It, um, yes, everyone. Yeah, but I, loved I mean, it. you're a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine if you really sat down and watched Bachelor like start to finish, paused it when you got up to go pee, like did not take your eyes off the show like you would a fucking episode of like Succession or something? I like, used what to. Have you I used to. Um, yeah, uh, but you, when it was good, when it was good. like back when in the heyday. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're so right, um, <laughs> Tracy. I'm so excited you came on. Are you excited to come back for Jada Pinkett Smith? I'm. I can't wait. I'm so mad I picked a book that was so far in advance. I know, because I feel like you should be on the podcast every week with me. Can well, you just start I'm a second podcast with anytime. me? Yeah. Okay. Would love that. You should maybe. I have some oh ideas of some podcasts. Okay. Let's offline. <laughs> okay. okay. You guys, we might be Maybe you'll be hearing us soon. <laughs>
<laughs> I just want to say something to your listeners because we've talked about so much serious stuff. I'm also a really fun time, I promise. Tracy is the most fun. We had the funnest dinner. Also, like, whenever you're done with the Zoom, you always want to get off, and I always stay on them with Tracy. Um, yeah, and also, Tracy, you were very fun on this episode. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Okay, plug your podcast. Plug your socials. Tell everyone where they can find okay. you and follow you and get hyped for Jada. I am Tracy Thomas. You can find me at the Stacks Pod on Instagram, at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. My podcast is called The Stacks. It comes out every single Wednesday. I'm going to do a thing that I've never done before, but I get to do it because I just announced I'm going on tour. I'm doing five cities, Oakland, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, and DC over the next few months. Can you please come? Because I am so fucking scared it's going to be empty. So get a ticket, bring your cousin, bring your book club, go to the stackspodcast.com. It's all there. Um, but please come to my tour, even if you don't listen to the podcast. Oh my God. They will also don't leave me alone up there. I've done Tracy's live shows. She's one of the best hosts. And Tracy has this thing uh, in her brain where she's like, people aren't gonna come to listen to me talk about books. And I'm like, let's all get drunk and talk about books. So they'll be at your live show. <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you so much for coming on and we'll see you guys again soon. Bye. That's all for this episode of Glamorous Trash Talk, but I have some more, I'm going to say incredible because I mean, they're not out yet, but I, I, I'm really excited for them. I have more Glamorous Trash Talks coming. Okay. So we're going to do an episode discussing Carolyn Calloway's essays and Natalie Beach's brand new book that's about to come out and that entire friendship saga. I don't know if you followed it, but I was deep in it and we have a really great episode discussing both of them. We also have an episode discussing the memoirs Educated and Glass Castle and sort of a read and comparison and so much more. So stay tuned. Join our Patreon because I just added new extra content. Every month we're sending out a cookie crumbs uh, email, which has like all the best tidbits from all the cookies and like notes and things I got. We have some free caps. An Elliot Page one just went out today. People are, people are on the Patreon discussing who the asshole at the party is. If that doesn't make sense to you, listen to our Elliot Page episode that's coming out. Listen, see you guys over there. Thank you so much for listening. Huge shout out to our producer, Kate Downey, our episode engineer, DJ Bouncy House. And as always, I'm on Instagram at Chelsea DeMontes. Chelsea DeMontes.